The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Samuel in chapter number 19. For Samuel 19 is where we will find ourselves this morning. But we have been going through a series here on Sunday morning, and we're going to continue that here, um, and it's entitled Pressure Points and how we deal with the troubles of life and the uh, things that are thrown our way. Uh, aren't you glad that God is a good, good father? And that's exactly what he's been here for Mountain Vista uh, over the last 20 years, and we pray that it will be the case. And as long as we're faithful to him, as long as uh, we don't get in his way, definitely he will always be a good, good father to us, and that will take place for the next 20 or plus years if the Lord would tarry for sure. Uh, And in your life, he's been a good, good father if you know him as uh, your savior as well. Uh, But does that mean that everything in our life is perfect? No, it doesn't. Uh, we get a, 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 a sad misunderstanding if we were to think that just because he's a good father, that, that means he's going to make sure everything is a bed of roses in our life and everything that we experience. And so therefore, that's why we are discussing when troubles come, how do we respond? When troubles come, what do we do? And uh, do we just respond be- the way that we feel like we ought to respond? Probably not, because that's going to probably be the flesh, and uh, we're going to probably uh, actually uh, lash out maybe in sin or uh, do something that we're going to regret later on. And so the way that we respond, we want to respond uh, according to what the Scripture would teach us to do, according to the way that the Lord would have us to respond as we yield to Him and His Spirit. And so thus far, We've discussed about the fact of when these pressure points kind of start to clamp down on our lives, uh, how, we, how we respond and what to do. We've discussed the pressure point of injustice, and uh, inevitably, there's going to be times where we feel like we've been done unjustly, and uh, those things are just going to happen that are going to come our way. We discussed the pressure point of anxiety as well, and uh, if that's not something we regularly deal with, it is at least probably something we occasionally will experience and uh, we discuss scripturally uh, how to address those things in our spirit and that. And, and that. And then we discuss the pressure point of discouragement. Now, these next two were actually online. And uh, so if you didn't happen to join us there on those days, you missed out on, the, on these two. But uh, the pressure point of discouragement. And listen, there's going to be things that happen in our life. There's going to be times that come that don't go the way we wanted it to. And it's going to be a discouraging time. Like when music starts playing for no reason in the middle of the worship service while the preacher's trying to preach. Like that could be discouraging. Or we can just make light of it and laugh and all that as well. Uh, but honestly, there's going to be times that will be discouraging in our lives. And how should we respond scripturally to those times? Then, of course, uh, we're all going to face times where we feel like we've been rejected. And we discuss the pressure point of rejection and how we ought to respond in that. I'd, I'd like to submit to you this morning, though, that one of the most valuable gifts that God has given us, of course, salvation, no, that's priority, no doubt, but one of the most valuable gifts that God would give us in our human life today, I'd have to say, is relationships, friendships, family, those, and, and the likes. Unfortunately, however, friendships, friendships don't always last, do they? In fact, it's, uh, researchers have conducted uh, the uh, studies and suggest that relationships often have a shelf life of less than 10 years. 
After surveying over 1,000 men and women, the university that was doing this research reconduct, or I'm sorry, reconnected with over half of them seven years later. They found that while these people had about the same number of friends as they did seven years earlier, only 30% kept the same friends that they had had the seven years prior. So let's say, according to that research, if you had 10 really close friends today, seven years from now, you'll probably still have 10 really close friends, but instead of having 20, because you've added to that list new people or, or 10 new people, you're probably going to have a, 10 friends, but there are going to be 10 new friends that are close, and those old ones are going to be somewhere else, and you just won't be connected with them. At some point, the truth is, is we're all going to have to navigate ruptured relationships. At some point, we're going to have to deal with going through a broken, uh, severed relationship, whether it be with friends whether it be in our families, whether it be in, uh, in other circumstances, we're going exp- to face those times. And sometimes those breakups are painful. Those, they're difficult to deal with. And, and sometimes they're even entirely unprovoked. Like we didn't want it to be broken. We didn't want the relationship to go the way that it did. Uh, and maybe we feel like we had no say in the matter. The other person just up and left. Or the other person said, I'm done with this relationship, whatever the case might be. But those things happen. And such was the case for two men in the scripture this morning named David and Saul. And so I want you to look at 1 Samuel chapter 19. We're going to read just two verses before we pray, but then we're going to go through several portions of Scripture as we go through the lesson this morning. So look at verse number 9 of 1 Samuel 19. It says, And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul, as he sat in his house and with his javelin in his hand. And David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here and uh, celebrating why we're celebrating today. And uh, Lord, the fact that you've been good and, and uh, you've allowed this church to uh, be a beacon of your, uh, your light and your word for the last 20 years. Lord, we do thank you so much for uh, the courage and faithfulness um, and just faith in you from uh, Pastor and Mrs. Holmes when they stepped out and just uh, responded to the call to come to this uh, city and to start Mountain Vista Baptist Church and to put all the, uh, the work and the effort into uh, being able to see a church grow, uh, begin and be birthed from, uh, from nothing. And as you worked and you provided and you, uh, Lord, just uh, made sure that everything was, that was needed was, was uh, given so that this church could be what it is today. And for your goodness, over the last four and a half, almost five years uh, that uh, you've allowed uh, my family to be here now, Lord. And uh, Lord, I just ask now that you would bless not only uh, the coming years, but also that you'd bless specifically this morning, that you'd give me the word to speak as I deliver your word here, that you'd help us to hear from it, that we'd honor and glorify you and magnify you in all that is said and done, and that as we continue on into the events afterwards, that our minds would not quickly drift away uh, unto gifts and games and and, uh, the uh, inflatables and the candy and all that's going to be taking place and the food, but Lord, uh, that we would remain focused on praising you for your goodness and the fact that you've given us this church. And Lord, I ask now that you would be honored and glorified through it all and that your will be accomplished. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We find here that the story opens up in the verses we read with Saul the king 
He's sitting there, I guess, in his throne room or someplace where he's just relaxing. He's called, well, maybe he didn't call him in, but David has been sent in to play the harp. And we'll go back and see where that came from in just a moment. But David is playing and Saul, uh, is, his spirit is just troubled. Troubled to the point where he's willing and wanting even to kill David. Imagine this. You're called into the room with someone, and they ask you to play the instrument. He's, David's playing the harp, but whatever instrument you want it to be. You're playing the, uh, the guitar, or you're playing the trumpet, or the flute, or you're playing a cymbal solo, right? It's a joke to what we talked about last week, or I think is what it was. But anyway, uh, nevertheless, um, the, uh, the, you play in the, the instrument, and the person you're playing for decides he doesn't like you and tries to throw a spear at you. That's messed up, but that's exactly the scene here, all right? And so we find that this was the case, this relationship uh, is falling apart, it's breaking. But if we go back a few chapters before our text here this morning, we find that this isn't something new for Saul. This isn't something new in his life where he uh, has been troubled just recently. This, he's been troubled before. In your Bibles, in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 16, it says, Let uh, our Lord command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is cunning, a cunning player on a harp. And so what we find is Saul's troubled, his spirit is vexed, and, and his servants decide, hey, you know what? Music might soothe his soul. And that's true. Oftentimes we put on music, it helps us to be encouraged or whatever the case might be. And that's what the servant was suggesting here. And so the servant had this idea, he suggested it. They found David, and notice what it says, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. And so Saul listened to their proposal, and he said, okay, I think I could deal with that. And so he gave approval for it. They found David, and the next time, time Saul is found troubled and vexed in his spirit, they call for David, and David comes, and he plays his heart, a harp, and it helps Saul in his time. And from that, a relationship between the king and this young shepherd boy begins to develop. It begins to grow. In fact, Saul was so impressed by this young man, David, not just his playing on the harp, but by the young man himself, that Saul made David his armor bearer. And the Bible goes on as far as to say this, that Saul loved David. So this relationship between Saul and David was not just a king-peasant relationship. This relationship between Saul and David was not even just a boss and you are my servant or master and you are my servant so you just have to do what I tell you to do and I have no care for you. He literally grew to love David, the Bible says. This is a relationship. At the very least, we would say they're friends. At the very least. We find that uh, all is going well between this relationship and David and Saul until the great battle that we know as the battle between David and, say it, church, Goliath. Goliath. I knew you would know that one, right? But David and Goliath. David, he goes, he's at home tending to the flock, and uh, his dad calls him and says, I want you to take some uh, materials and supplies, some supplies to your brothers there at war. And so David gets his cart and gets all the supplies together. He takes it there. He finds his, where the uh, camp for the Israelite army is, but he finds all the, the soldiers, all the army cowering. 
says, what's going on here? And they explain that, he's got, that the Philistine army has this huge giant and everyone's afraid of him and all of that. And David says those famous words, is there not a cause, right? And so David, in faith in God, says, I'm going to go and fight this Philistine. And, and uh, so Saul says, hey, okay, well, if you're that crazy, uh, why don't you take my armor? Now, one thing, David refused the armor probably because it was too big for him. All right. The Bible clearly states that Saul was head and shoulders above all the rest of Israel. So he was of great stature, apparently, and David was still just a teenager. And so more than likely, the, the, the armor was just oversized, and uh, that wouldn't bode well for him. But he also said these words, I've not proven it. I, I, I wouldn't know how to use it. This is not something I'm accustomed to. So in faith, David take, took his sling and some stones, right? And he went before the Goliath, and he put that stone in the, in the sling and slung that, that, that rock, and it hit Goliath right there in the forehead. He fell over, and uh, I don't know if he was completely dead there or just knocked out, but the Bible says David, for good measure at least, took Goliath's sword and cut his head right off. What an opportunity, man. What a, how God used him. What, I mean, what a battle. What a victory. And I can just picture how it took place afterwards, all right? Because of the great victory God had given, they threw this huge celebration in Israel to commemorate what God had just done for them. I mean, they, they ordered a food truck and inflatables and all those things, and they lined the streets, and that's why we're doing it today, because it's biblical, folks. And, and uh, you know, but they, they, they gathered this celebration, and I can see Saul maybe in his chair, maybe over a balcony from his throne room looking out into the streets, being able to see something. I don't know exactly, but he's watching on. And the Bible says that the, they must have had some type of like parade going through the streets because the women of the city were playing instruments and singing. And Psalm 18.7 says this, And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands. And I can just picture Saul sitting there in the chair watching the parade go by, and here comes the ladies with their instruments and singing, and they're singing the chorus and the, the verse of, Saul has slain his, his thousands. And he's like, man, this is pretty good, yo. And uh, I could dig this. That's going to be a hit right there on the radio stations. I know that's going to be good. And he's enjoying the song. And then all of a sudden, it transitions into the rest of the verse. And it says, these ladies said, Saul has slain his thousands. And David, his tens of thousands. Saul said, hold up, rewind that. What did they just say? And all of a sudden... This relationship between Saul and David, one where David played to soothe Saul's spirit, where David took care of his armor, where David was actually loved by Saul, began to fall upon the rocks. Because Saul begins hearing how the people are seeing him as compared to David. And Saul grew so jealous over these women's obvious favoritism uh, to David that he took drastic measures. So drastic in that the next time David is called in to play the harp to soothe the spirit, he's sitting there ready, not for his spirit to be soothed, but with a javelin in hand to try to kill David because he wanted David out of the picture. He want listen, folks, it wasn't like Saul was just irritated with David playing the harp. That was, it was not an instrument irritation. I know about instrument irritation. 
my children have taken piano lessons, and uh, I'll be sitting in the living room, and Claire will be sitting there at the piano, and she will be practicing, and she'll play the same specific line out of the same piece over and over and over and over and over again. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is good. This is necessary. She's going to be a great pianist one day. She's going to be able to play for our church. The Lord's going to use her. This is, a, this is talent God's given her, and she's going to use it for his glory one day. And was, every time she plays it over again, I'm telling myself, this is a good thing. <laughs> Until finally I say, I can't take it anymore. And we're like, all right, Claire, just pause. Please stop. We'll pick up in just a few hours. Like when I go to work, you can pick up again and practice and bother your mother, all right? Uh, and those types of things. This was not the case for Saul. Saul was not irritated that David was practicing and playing the same part. It was not the case. And it wasn't even as if he said, okay, hey, I just don't want you in my presence. Go to another room. He wanted David off the earth. He wanted him dead. And he sought to slay David with that javelin as he threw it. The Bible says David is not struck by the, 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 the spear, but he actually is able to duck out of the way, and he flees for his life. And can you imagine David's thoughts as he's running? I mean, here is a young man who had done nothing but try to help Saul, done work for Saul, had built a relationship so much that Saul loved him. And I'm just going to go out and venture to think that if Saul loved him, probably David reciprocated that love back as well. And uh, he, he didn't go off to fight Goliath because he wanted to make a name for himself. He just felt that's what the Lord's leading was. He didn't come back and even flaunt it. He didn't do any of those things. He did, he, he did not do anything to try to uh, usurp Saul's authority. In fact, after he's done these great things, and even after the women have praised his name, he's just willing to go back and play the harp for the king. But Saul is so jealous that he wants David killed. And, and uh, just imagine how David must have felt that even though he had been, uh, the Lord had already appointed David to be the next king of Israel, he never used that to try to sway the nation. But yet still Saul was jealous and tried to kill him. I would venture to say that none of us have been in a situation to that extent probably. I hope not anyway. I hope that your relationship did not end because someone pulled out their gun and shot at you or threw a knife at you or your marriage ended because the wife threw a frying pan at you or something like that. I don't know. You know I'm hoping those are not the cases for you today, but I'm going to, get, I'm going to just venture out to think probably that all of us had have, have had some type of David-Saul break of a relationship. Whether it was years ago in our past, we might even be experiencing it right now, or even it could be waiting in the future for us that we don't know that yet. Maybe it was because uh, uh, siblings grew angry over how the inheritance was given, how, things, how the possessions were sold and split up. Maybe two people get, went into a joint business venture together and they just couldn't see eye to eye on how the business was to be ran or things that were to be done. And so that, that riff in that broke the relationship or maybe it was because there was a real or even a, something that was imagined slight from years ago and now re that relationship is broken. Sometimes relationships are so damaged 
that people aren't even willing to go to family reunions because aunt so-and-so or grandpa so-and-so or my mom or brother or sister are going to be there, and they just refuse to go because of a broken relationship within the family. They basically think this, that I will never face, speak to, or be with that person ever again. And that's where the relationship is, lo- is left, because it's just tattered and broken. But why does this happen? Why do these types of things take place? Why do lifelong friends quit speaking? Why do family members hate each other so that they can't even stand to be in the same room with each other? The ans- the, there aren't easy answers, I understand that, but the questions are ones that we need to be willing to eventually face. And I'd like us to focus on the story of David and Saul throughout Scripture this morning and see how we ought to respond when relationships break in our life and find scripturally why this is oftentimes true, that relationships can break. Number one, I want you to notice this morning that we, we, let's consider broken relationships and their roots. Where does this take place? Where does it come from? Why do relationships end in the first place? I mean, let's be honest. Best friends don't stop speaking over nothing. Married couples just just don't suddenly divorce over nothing. Church members don't stop going to church over nothing. They don't just up and leave. People who are plugged in, people who love the Lord, they don't just spontaneously leave. Although every situation is different, in why it's taking place and how the relationship is broken, we can generally trace the failing relationship back to some specific uh, general breaking points. I want to share a few with you this morning. Broken relationships and their roots. Where, what are the roots of broken relationships? Oftentimes, the root starts because it's broken by sin. When we look at this story here of David and Saul, we find that it was jealousy and pride that played a huge part in why this relationship was broken. As we saw just a bit ago in 1 Samuel 18, the women of Israel began to sing praises to two great warriors. It wasn't as if they just sang praises to David alone. They sang praises about Saul also. And I I, I could be wrong. I could be thinking into more than what it really is, but I would assume anyways that when this song is being sung, it is not to degrade Saul and uplift uh, David even the more. I believe it's something like this. Lord, we praise you for the fact that you've given us two great leaders, one that's been able to slay thousands, another that's been able to slay tens of thousands, and we've seen progression, and your hand has been in it all, and Lord, you've blessed us, and you provided for us. I believe, honestly, that was probably the background of it. That was probably the thrust of it, but Saul didn't take it that way. Instead, when he saw that the women exalted, in his mind anyway, David more than he, jealousy sprung up in his heart. Read 1 Samuel 18, verses 8 and 9 with me, if you would. It says, and Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what, he, what can he have more than, but the kingdom? He said, All right, if they're going to ascribe unto him more slain than me, then what else could we, he have more than just actually taking the throne from me? He was worried about losing his prestige and his place of power. Verse number 9 says, And Saul eyed David from that day forward. 
He sought to kill him from that day forward. Can I submit something to you this morning? David did not write the words of that song. David was not the author of it. David had nothing to do with it other than the fact that he did what God told him to do. It was on the, other, it was on the singers. It was on the ones that, that were singing the song and came up with this chorus and all of that. If, anybody, if Saul should be mad with anybody, it ought to be the musicians. It ought to be the ones singing it. It ought to be the one that writes it. Not David. David had nothing to do with it. It wasn't like David got together with a group of people and said, hey, I want you to write this song so that it can be a uh, subtle pop propaganda campaign. I'm, going to, I'm about to run, uh, and I, I, I'm, my platform is going to be uh, Make Israel Great Again. And, uh, I, I'm, you know, and got together with, it's not like he did anything like that. He had nothing to do with this. But yet Saul took it personally. And his pride got in the way, which led to jealousy. And an insecure Saul was so worried about maintaining power and prestige and his place in the kingdom that he started to lash out, and it led to a broken relationship. Proverbs 27 and verse 4 reminds us that wrath is cruel, and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? See, jealousy and the pride that behind it is what caused Saul to break this relationship. My friends, here's the deal. Sometimes sin will be the root of our broken relationships. It might be, in a marriage relationship, it might be the sin of, of uh, stepping out on your wife and the sin of adultery or something along those uh, types of lines. It might be the sin of lying that breaks a relationship. I mean, listen, if I'm lied to over and over and over and over and over again by, by you as my friend, at some point it's going to hit a breaking point. I'm going to say, I can't trust you any longer, Right? And that could be, so sin could be the reason why these things take place. Notice also that the root of a broken relationship at some times can it be broke, it could be broken because of a stand. Be broken by a stand. The relationships can be broken because we just can't compromise in what we think is right. We see this example in Acts 15. Paul and Barnabas are good friends. In fact, Barnabas is the one who was instrumental in making sure that Paul was able to be accepted by the church and all of that. And so they're launching out on their first missionary journey, and they take with them a, an assistant named John Mark. John Mark seems to be working out okay at first, but when trials come, John Mark retreats. He throws in the white towel, and he goes back home. Well, that really, I mean, that just puts a burr underneath uh, Paul's saddle. He's not happy about it at all. And in fact, when Paul and Barnabas are beginning to plan their next trip, Barnabas suggests, hey, I think John Mark grew from that experience. We ought to take him along with us. He'd be a help this time. And Paul said, there's no way. That guy's a bum. I'm not going to take him with us. And that caused Paul and Barnabas to begin to fight and argue. And Barnabas said, no, uh, John Mark, he, he's a good guy. He's grown. He's, he's profitable. Paul said, no, he's a bum. He left us. He retreated on us. And they both had an opinion, and they weren't willing, neither of them were willing to, to budge on it. So they both dug in and took a stand and said, I'm not moving. And it led to a break in the relationship. In fact, Paul went out on his own and Barnabas went out on his own. Well, Paul went out and took another and Barnabas went out and took John Mark with him and they went their separate ways. And uh, man, what, a, what a, 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 
a horrible way to break the dynamic duo, if you may, of Paul and Barnabas over a fact that they wouldn't budge on their opinions. They both took a stand. Now, thankfully, later on, Paul came to the conclusion, and he writes in the 2 Timothy 4 and 11, that Barnabas, I'm sorry, John Mark had grown. In fact, he says that John Mark was profitable for ministry. And that's a, I'm grateful for that. But here's the deal. They come to the point where they dug in and they said, I'm not budging. And listen, my friends, that can be a breaking point in a relationship. And what a shame it is when it's just over opinions, when it's just over how we see things. Now, friends, listen to me. There are some things we dig in and stand upon and that don't waver no matter what. If we're standing upon the truths of this word and our friend decides to go against it, then that's on them, not on us. In fact, Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 3, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 4, verses 3 and 4. He said, uh, for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it's strange that ye run not with them to do the same, excess of riots, speaking evil of you. He said, you used to live in this lifestyle. The Lord has saved you, and you've grown from that, and realize those things that uh, are, are, are wicked and evil are not a thing that a believer ought to partake in. And now that you're not partaking in it with them, they think you're crazy. They think you're strange. And they even go as far as speak evil against you. But he's saying, hey, you're actually on the right side if that's the reason why the relationship is broken. Sometimes the relationship is broken. The root of it is it's broken by sanctification. Now, sanctification is a setting of part. A, a sanctification is in an easy, simple way uh, saying it's, uh, it, we've grown in the Lord. And sometimes our relationships are broken because of sanctification. We find, listen, that uh, we all grow at different points. We all grow spiritually in different ways. But sometimes it's not about the two believers desiring and yielding for the growth and one outgrowing or maturing quicker than the other. But it's about when one believer says, I'm yielding to the Spirit for this growth. And the other believer says, I'm not going to yield and rejects the Lord work in their life. Listen, one of the keys to a strong relationship is, ha is, is the fact that relationships thrive on common ground. And if you're growing in the Lord and another believer is, is saying, I don't want to grow in that area for, that the Lord has for me, then don't think it's strange when the relationship seems to move apart. Listen, I went to a Bible college. I had great friends in, my, in that Bible college, roommates that I roomed with, people I rode to work with every single day, people I worked in ministry with every weekend. We were there for the same reason, for the same cause, and unfortunately, a few of them have decided that they don't even believe in this stuff anymore, and they've quit church, and they don't have, they don't have anything to do with it. And listen, we might have some contact, but we don't plan family vacations together. You say, what happened to the close relationship that you used to have? It's not that I'm better than them or that they're worse than me. It's just the fact that our focus is different. And the Lord's grown me, and they chose not to yield to, be, to grow as well. And it was just natural that we grew apart at that point. And sometimes that's the root cause of a broken relationship. Number two this morning, not only do we see broken relationships and, uh, and, and, it's, and, the roots, and its roots, but number two, notice the bro our broken relationships and our response. Our response oftentimes is 
well, forget them. We don't need them anyways, right? That's the natural fleshly response. But what should be our response as a believer? Well, when we look at David and Saul's life, I believe that looking at how David responded is a biblical example of how we too ought to respond. We find first, when it comes to our broken relationships, how we ought to respond is we need to always remember the good. Listen, if it was a true friendship, if it, I mean, if it's your family and all, there's got to have been good times. There's got to have been great times, great memories made. And, there, and at the latter end, before it's broken, I'm sure that there were some bad times as well. But how often, isn't it true that we often just focus on the bad? When it, in the midst of the breakup, we focus only on the bad. Instead of focusing on the bad, remember the good times. Remember the joys you shared. Remember the great experiences you've had. In fact, Proverbs 3 and verse 3 says, Let not mercy or, and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. And focusing on the good is not just for broken relationships. It's a good attitude to have even in healthy relationships as well. But not only as we respond to as these relationships are falling apart and we respond as they're broken, we ought to respond by remembering the good. Let me also say this this morning, that we ought to respond by refusing to force others to take our side. Now listen, uh, things weren't just tense between David and Saul. Saul actually wanted to kill David. We know that. We talked about that. But Saul had a son. Saul's son's name was Jonathan. And uh, Jonathan found out about his father's plot to war, uh, plot against David, and he warned David. And David could have easily attempted to pull Jonathan away from his father's side and just to get him to side with him alone, but David never did that. David never said, all right, Jonathan, you're, you're, your father's a nut. <laughs> you need to just stick with me. David could have attempted, but he never did. He knew it would be wrong for him to drag Jonathan into his dispute with Saul. And, and David never tried to say, hey, if you're going to be my friend, you've got to side with me. I used this illustration, and, and uh, Brother Brandon actually mentioned it as we were transitioning through Sunday school, so I'll use it again, although he's not in here. This morning in the first service, Brother Brandon was sitting right there, and Kyle Willis was sitting right there. I said this, I said, um, say Brother Brandon and I were having some issues, and we were in a, in a spat, our relationship was being tattered. It was breaking apart. Listen, we're not the only one. We're not our only friends. We have other friends, and oftentimes we share friends. We have mutual friends. And so say that uh, while in the midst of me and Brother Brandon having this spat and our relationship being broken and tattered, uh, my friend is Kyle, but Kyle is also Brandon's friend. It would be absolutely wrong for me to tell Kyle that he can't be Brandon's friend anymore if he's going to be my friend. It'd be totally wrong for Brandon to say, you can't be my friend anymore if you're going to be pastor's friend anymore, or you got to take my side over the other. It's never right. No matter whose side is right, it's never right to expect others to join your side. And so as we respond to what is taking place in these broken relationships, refuse to focus uh, I'm sorry, force others to take your side. Proverbs, 6, Proverbs 16 and 28 says, A forward man soweth strife, and a whisperer spareth, uh, separateth chief friends. The Bible clearly states that it's wrong to try to sow discord between others. So as we respond, as broken relationships are part of our life, we respond by remembering the good. We respond by refusing to force others to take our side. We respond by respecting the other side. 
Oftentimes, we want to just immediately lash out. We want to speak bad about them and, uh, talk, and kind of talk them down. But no matter how ugly the breakup might be, we should always be respectable and respective of the other person. We should never find a point where we're gathering a crowd together and saying, let me tell you about so-and-so, man, yeah, and, and just continually bash. and all. That's not respectable. Because here's the deal. If you'll do that for that relationship, and the person that you're talking to as you're trying to drag them to your side is willing to listen to that in your relationship with them now, if there's ever a break in that new relationship, they'll do the same thing about you as well. It's never helpful. You're, you're building a new relationship on toxin. And so here's what I'm saying this morning is we need to re respect the other side. In 1 Samuel 26, David had a perfect chance to get revenge. The Bible tells us that, uh, that uh, he found where Saul's camp was and they saw the king asleep. And actually one of David's men came and told him where Saul was. And he said, hey, just say the word and, or you could go in and kill him or just say the word, we'll kill him and all that. And of course, we find that uh, David said in verse number nine, he said unto Abishai, destroy him not for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless. David said, David had the perfect opportunity. David was already anointed king of Israel. He was the next one in line. And so he could have just sped up the process if he said, hey, servant, go kill him. Or if he would have taken the sword himself and killed Saul. Saul was fast asleep and then it wouldn't have never seen it coming. But David said, nope, we're not going to do it. Because he respected him as a person. He respected Saul in his position as well. And what, my friends, here's what I'm saying this morning is we need to make sure that we respect the other side. How do I respond to these broken relationships? Also, remember, realize that you can't believe everything you hear. Some people just want to sow trouble. If Brother Brandon in that illustration again, if Brother Brandon and I were having some issues and, some, and, and uh, uh, broken, breaking in our relationship and someone were to come along to Brother Brandon and say, did you hear what Pastor said about you? Or they come along and say to me, did you hear what, hey, Pastor, you hear what Brother Brandon said about you? They probably, they prob if we're following these other things and respecting the other side, they're probably twisting words that were said, just trying to cause more problems. Remember, just because you hear it doesn't make it true. Just because someone says it doesn't make it true. Hey, although Abraham Lincoln said you could believe everything you read on the internet, that doesn't mean it's true. So you'd remember, realize that you can't believe everything. Psalm 1 and 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Underneath how we respond, lastly, before I go into the last point, let me say this. How do I respond in, our, in the midst of broken relationships? I need to reckon my relationship with Christ to be my focus. No matter what happens, no matter whether or not it, it falls all the way apart or whether or not it's ever reconciled, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, Christ is always center, and Christ ought to always remain our focus. Psalm 27, 4 says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Now, lastly, before we close, notice number three, broken relationships and their restoration. The Bible clearly tells us 
that he has given believers the ministry of reconciliation. That ministry of reconciliation is no doubt speaking of the fact that we are striving to help others to know the gospel so that they might be reconciled to Christ, that they might be reconciled back to the Father. We understand that. But I believe that also has a part to do with our relationships earthly as well. And so how, how, how do I restore broken relationships? Sometimes, listen, it takes two to the tango, right? I know that. Sometimes the other party is not willing to even get on board. But here's what our response ought to be, how we strive to restore relationships. Number one, seek the possibility of restoration. Seek the possibility of restoration. See, here's the deal. Consider the Apostle Paul. We think of Paul as one of the giants of the faith, right? But he wasn't invincible from being hurt or feeling rejected by others. In fact, uh, Paul neither would treat uh, relationships lightly, though. He would re we read in Romans 12 and 18, he says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. I mentioned earlier when he said about, um, when he said about uh, John Mark, when he wrote to Timothy, he admitted that John Mark was profitable for ministry. And he would have never been able to admit that had he not come to a point where he would say, you know what? It is possible that he has grown. It is possible that this relationship be restored. A perfect example, going back to the relationship of Saul and David again, is found in 2 Samuel 9. Verses 6 and 7, we won't take time to read it this morning, but listen to me, my friends. David never gave up on trying to make sure that his family and Saul's family's relationship was restored like it ought to be. Saul wanted David dead. David had opportunities to kill Saul, but he would never take that opportunity. But long after Saul had passed and was no longer around, it was found that Saul had a, 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 like a, grand, like a, a, a relative uh, later on that was still around. In those days, when a new king took over from a preceding king, if they weren't in the same family, they would normally have all of the descendants of the prior king's family killed so that they would not have an opportunity to come back and claim, I am the rightful heir of the throne because my great-great-grandfather or so whatever was the king. So they'd just wipe out all of the descendants so there was no way of that happening. Well, it's found out that Saul has a descendant that's still alive. He's a young man, actually, that when Saul passed away to save and sp spare his life, the servant, uh, his babysitter, picked him up and began to run away. In the midst of running, she fell upon him and made him handicapped and lame. He couldn't walk. And so he, he's grown up to a, a, be a man now. He's, he's been hidden all these years, and David finds out. When this young man finds out that David knows, now he's fearful of his life because David surely is going to kill me. But David doesn't send for that young man to be killed. He sends for this young man named Mephibosheth to be sent to the home, to be sent to David's palace to find a place at his table. Why? Because David never gave up on the possibility of restoring a relationship with Saul's family again. And let me say this also, if we're going to restore relationships, not only seek the possibility of restoration, but stay on the path of reconciliation. Notice the Bible says in 1 Peter 3 and 11, let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace 
and ensue it. Ephesians 4 and 3 says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. And the only way we're going to do that is by following the, the, the command of Hebrews 12 and 2, where it says, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Listen, my friends, if we're going to seek and stay on the path of reconciling relationships that are broken in our life, we must follow the example of our Savior who came and though he was despised and he was rejected, though he came unto his own and his own received him not, he stayed on the path. The Bible said clearly he set his face as a flint towards Jerusalem so that he might go to the cross, that he might give himself a sacrifice for many so that whosoever might call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That way we can be restored and reconciled back to the Father. Listen, if we're ever going to see broken relationships reconciled, it's going to be because we follow the, the example of our Savior, and look unto Him, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Broken relationships are truly a pressure point in our life. They're truly a troubling time in our life. But we should not respond in those ways through the flesh. We ought to respond by the example of Scripture and the example of our Savior, who's cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Would you stand to your feet with me, please, with your head bowed and eyes closed this morning? Who here would say, Pastor, I know for sure I'm saved. I know that heaven's my home, and if I were to die today, heaven would be my home. Could I rejoice with you? Just slip your hand up and right back down, hands all across the auditorium. Praise the Lord for that. Anyone here who would say, Pastor, honestly, if I die today, I'm not sure that heaven's my home. I'm not sure that I have a home in heaven. Could I just pray for you this morning? And if you're here and you say, Pastor, I do not know that I'm saved, just slip your hand up and right back down. Let me pray for you this morning. Then last question is this. Who here would say, Pastor, I've had a broken relationship from years ago. Or, Pastor, I'm going through a time where our relationship's falling apart right now. Or maybe you say, I'm not really experienced it right now, but I know it could be possible in the future. But you'd say, Pastor, something you've spoken from the Word of God today just resonated in my heart. Whether it be about how we respond, about how we, have to, we ought to seek reconciliation, what, about the roots of it, and, and that we want to try to just yield to the Lord so those roots won't be a reason why we would be the, the, the catalyst to a broken relationship. But you're here today. You say, Pastor, you know what? Something from the message, the Lord spoke to my heart today about it. And Pastor, would you pray with me about that specific thing? You don't have to tell me about it. I'm not asking you to do anything like that. I just want to come alongside of you today and pray alongside of you for whatever situation or circumstance you might be in concerning this pressure point of a broken relationship. You say, Pastor, please pray for me. Would you slip your hand up and write back down if that's you this morning? Hands all across this auditorium. We've all surely have had that or even are experiencing it right now. And I'm here to tell you, my friends, that God has given us an example on how we ought to respond. Now, if that's true, I'm, I'm praying for you. And if you raised your hand, you want to respond as the Lord has spoken to you. I'm praying with you. But I want to invite you, if you're able, to come to the altar this morning. As the piano begins to play now, even, if the Lord has spoken to your heart, and uh, you want to respond to him as he's spoken to you, I want to invite you right here to the altar if you're able. If you're unable to kneel up here at the front, right there in your seat, right where you're at, you call out to the Lord and say, Lord, you know what? You've given me an example. You've uh, given me a way to know how to process this and go through this. And Lord, I want to follow your way. I don't want to do it my way. That, that just that compounds the problem. That compounds the circumstance. That just makes matters worse and uh, I, don't, I don't want to respond in that way. I want to respond scripturally. I want to respond in a way that you would have me to respond. If that's your heart this morning, I want you to call out to him today. Let him have his work and will in your life. 
We won't tarry the invitation long this morning before we dismiss. But if he's spoken to your heart today, I hope that you'll take the time to respond to him.